Josie. Josie Ho. Oh, God. If you're going to do it, can you not just butcher someone's name? Darius Strokas. Darius People will not Stroke. take it seriously Damon, if we contained. mispronounce the actors' names. Okay, sorry. You say Yoshiaki Kobayashi. I mean, you did a good job. You just said it. I didn't realize you nailed that. I'm sorry. You say Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne. Hello, my best friend on the internet, and welcome to the Real Science Podcast, the podcast where three highly qualified professionals pick a movie and then pick apart the science. My name is Kenan Smith. My name is Sean Crossan. And I'm Michael Pace. And Sean, what do we do on this podcast? Well, we watch a movie, and we critique the science in it. Uh, we give you a summary of the movie and a summary of how good or bad the science is, and we give a rating. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's worth noting that in this podcast, we will pick apart some of the minutiae of the movie because we are scientists and we are trained to critique everything that we could possibly lay eyes upon. Uh, and there also might be some light cursing. Um, so hide your kitties unless your kid can hang. Unless they're cool kids. Unless they're cool. Cool babies. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, so, uh, boys, I've got my resume here in front of me. Let's start with you, Sean, first. Uh, I see here that you're a scientist at UF. Is that that is true. Yes, at the University of Florida. Yeah, and where, what, uh, what do you work on? Uh, science, mostly. Well, great. Uh, it sounds like you'll be an excellent addition. Can <laughs> <laughs> you get to some specifics? I work on uh, gene therapy and just sort of molecular biology uh, mm-hmm. in general, looking at obesity, and that's, that's really about it. Sweet. Sounds good. Mr. Pace. Yes. Michael Christopher Pace. Yes. Looking at your resume here, I see you also actually work at UF. This is very strange and unprecedented. Um, what do you do there? So I primarily study neurodegeneration, such as diseases including Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. Chances are you've been affected by somebody with one of these diseases. Um, but I also have a pretty strong background in just neuroscience and cell biology in general. Excellent. Sounds like you both will be a very good addition. I sure hope so. Yeah. Um, so thanks for, you know, hiring us on to do yep, this podcast you're both, with actually, you. Actually, you're the only applicants. Yeah, uh, that's So good. I well, guess we'll be accepting both of you for these positions. Yes, and the, yep. now before we, you know, accept, let's talk terms, you know, so sure. what, is the, what, is the, what is the payment? Oh, you get paid in nothing. Okay, yeah. um, that's fine, I guess. What do you bring to the table? Like, what are we, like, it sounds like we're doing all the work for free. Like, right, well, I mean, yeah, what do you do, Cannon? Oh, uh, well, I'm kind of the, like, the straight man, right? So, uh, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm here to, see. I'm here to keep the boat afloat, okay. as okay. it were. So, we've got the bad boy, who I assume is going to be Pace, based on the really just sort of terrible things you say about Tim Tebow. Uh, and then we've <laughs> I'll got... Be, I'll be your bad boy. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. And then we've got... <laughs> The only guess would be the cute one. Uh, that's me. Yeah. Ladies, I'm married. So, <laughs> great disclaimer. Uh, hey, you, you know, ladies, people I'm should married. people should know. People should know. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Our wives will never listen to this podcast because all three of us are idiots. Well, it's good that I'm on a uh, audio media only because I'm too cute for TV. And you will so. never use your Twitter, so no one will ever know what you look like. I don't have a avatar, so it doesn't matter. Oh my god, he said avatar. What is it called? Like Sorry, I, those are the, the the blue people. Yeah, the last Airbender. Right? Those are the Smurfs. You're confused. Yeah, you know. <laughs> anyway. All right, we kind of lost the plot here. Anyway, Sean, mm-hmm. what movie do we watch? Well, this week we watched Contagion. 
And Contagion, for those of you who haven't seen it, Kenan will give you a brief plot summary, but in short, um, it stars Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, Matt Damon, Lawrence Fishburne, Jude Law, just to name a few. Yep. And there is essentially an outbreak of a deadly disease, and the entire movie is the CDC and other governmental organizations trying to pick up the pieces and stop the spread as fast as possible. Right, and there are a couple of sort of minor side plots that kind of go along with it, so you get a glimpse into, well, at least what it seems like they're trying to do with the movie is that they give you a glimpse into the different kinds of things that will occur within an outbreak. But for the most part, they're fairly science and scientist centric, mm-hmm. which was kind of a good pick for this movie. Just sort of, you know, agreed right, right off right. the bat. So there is a lot of science for sure. There is. Pace, you want to talk about some of the uh, science that we're going to be covering? Yeah. So we're first going to talk about the CDC in general, how they reacted to the entire situation, um, and what characters, what characteristics of the disease uh, are discussed, presented in the movie. Uh, We're next going to go into homeopathy and pseudoscience, what role it plays in the film, particularly in respect to Jude Law's character. Mm -hmm. And last, we're going to talk about the actual science itself. What did they get right, wrong? What is the overall scientific accuracy of the movie? Cool. And then what do we do? Ben, we're going to rate this We're going to rate this. We're going to rate it. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. We're going to talk about how good we think the science is, just in general, and... How good of a movie we thought it was. Mm. Yeah, no Sorry. spoilers. No spoilers. No, we're going to spoil the whole movie. No, it's definitely spoiled. <laughs> Real quick, go watch the movie if you haven't seen it. It's pretty good. Yeah, that should be a good disclaimer. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about this movie in depth. If you haven't seen it, uh, spoiler alert, go watch the movie, then listen to the podcast. Then listen to the podcast. Unless you don't care. In which case, I, listen I, away. I don't know why you're here. License to listen. <laughs> License to listen. Yeah, so basically, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, who is married to a pretty decent looking Matt Damon, if I do say so myself. He's always decent looking. Always. Uh, is coming back from, I believe, uh, China, correct? Coming back from Hong Kong. Um, and is sick. She gets back. She dies. All heck breaks loose. Uh, and there's this full-on investigation of this virus that has now been brought into the U.S. And then later we find out other places that is sort of spreading out in this large epidemic. Uh, the movie very closely follows a couple of main characters, especially Matt Damon, who turns out to be uh, either immune to the disease or doesn't di- just doesn't die from it. I don't really remember. Um, but uh, realistically, it follows the reaction that our government, several other global governments, and the CDC has to this outbreak. Uh, and so that's kind of what we'll be discussing during this podcast. Um, and actually, Sean, I believe you were going to talk about the CDC for us. Sure, I will kick off. So we're going to really go through the movie chronologically and look at a lot of the scientific aspects. Now, the movie is very heavily front-loaded with a lot of science um, because they're showing the CDC, you know, trying to figure out what this virus is. So, of course, there's a lot of experimentation involved. So, um, after Gwyneth Paltrow dies, the movie is broken down by days. So, I believe it's about day three. I believe it's day four. Uh, and yes. on that morning, Matt Damon's wife collapses, and as Kenan described, all hell breaks loose. Yep. Yes, true. Yeah. And doesn't... And, okay, so... She dies on day four, and that same day, her son, who has now been infected from her, presumably, also dies at the end of the day. Which is wild. Yes, Matt Damon is having a very bad day. That is for sure. I mean, not as bad as Gwyneth Paltrow, I guess, but pretty bad still. <laughs> so, well, I'm just Sorry, saying, <laughs> she did die. So, so in the beginning, it's, you know, it's very dramatic. She comes home, she thinks she has a cold, or she's jet lag, and then she collapses, has a seizure, and dies in the hospital yep um 
But so from here on out, there's a scene where the doctors are performing an autopsy on her body because they're trying to figure out what killed her. And they suspect encephalitis, which is swelling of the brain, which um, can kill you. It's a very serious condition to have. Absolutely. Um, yep. And yeah. can be caused by a variety of different things. Right. There are viruses, right. bacteria, things like that. And so the doctors explain to Matt, I'm going to keep calling him Matt. His character's name is like... What's his name? Greg. Greg? Something like that? I don't that? think that's right. No, Mitch. But we're going to call him Matt Damon <laughs> okay, for that. Sounds better than Mitch. It's yeah. a recurring theme we have on the podcast by using the names of the actors themselves and not their... Yeah, I think you can picture their faces a little bit. Their better. characters. Absolutely. But yeah, so the doctors explain to him, you know, we don't know what it is. We're going to do an autopsy and hopefully that'll give us some indication. But any number of viruses or bacteria could have caused this, but they're most likely pretty rare. Yep. And actually the doctor in who addresses Matt Damon after she dies... And delivers his news to him. Uh, mentions that it could be anything from meningitis. He does say encephalitis. He mentions it could have been caused by a bug uh, bug bite. He drops West Nile. Uh, he also mentions that it could have been herpes virus, which Matt Damon almost punches him in the face for, um, and just kind of goes down the list. And this I is about that. Yeah, yep. that's right. He got really offended. He got really upset. And this was, of course, like you said, pre autopsy. So. Right. So the doctors start doing the autopsy, and they open up. Gwyneth Paltrow's brain and look and there's this very dramatic scene where the doctors are like oh my god the sulci are obliterated yeah and he goes what do you want me to do step away from the body I want you to move away, <laughs> I want from, you to the move away from the table so it's very dramatic you know he's basically <laughs> implying you know we it's something very dramatic that we haven't seen before right. we don't really know what this is and it's very serious so we need to get this to the CDC which is the Center for Disease Control which is an American governmental health institution that because they're in America now, that's where they're sending this mm -hmm. sample from the autopsy of her brain. To, yeah, and he um, actually he he also mentions the other dramatic line, which uh, the attendant says, "Who should I call?" And he says, "Call everyone." So oh, yeah, not right. only yeah. does the CDC get involved, but pretty much immediately get the, the World Health Organization gets involved. So who? Right. Yeah. That exchange really kind of emphasizes the significance of the situation that they're exactly. experiencing yeah. here. Right. Which is uh, what the movie's trying trying to get across. And so again, like we're not, you know, we're not MDs. We don't work with like we work on aspects of human disease, but we're not actual doctors, so we're not necessarily working with patient symptoms right. but they say in there that the sulci are obliterated in the brain and the sulci are the the i guess invaginations in the brain the curves that the crevasses yes the Correct. crevices in the brain Correct. and so they don't show you a picture but assuming that you know those are just gone the brain's just like expanded from serious inflammation that's obviously not good right i don't know you don't have to be a doctor to know that that's very bad that for that's your brain for something and we happen. and we had sort of talked about a couple of ideas of like oh maybe the expansion is just causing these folds to disappear found a couple things online about how you know the specific lesions in the brain can reduce the number of sulci or cause issues with the sulci but mm -hmm. we're not actually sure ourselves well, and for those of you who don't who don't know, the reason that your brain has these ridges and grooves is to increase the overall surface area of the right. brain itself. That's why it's not just flat, uh, as is occurring in the case of this disease that this person has. Right. So, so yeah. So they finish the autopsy, and then they sort of move into the next steps, where the CDC gets wind of this. They start talking about, okay, is this an infectious disease that we got to worry about spreading? Like, should we alert the media? And should we figure out what this is? Things like that. So yeah, in day five, they also show the uh, World Health Organization, not just the CDC. They kind of go back and forth between these different health organizations throughout the movie, as it is very fast-paced. But so a lot of the, the science of trying to find out what this virus is 
arises around days five to five to ten, I believe. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. yeah. So five to ten days after Gwyneth Paltrow's character gets infected and and dies by day three. So now at day like five through seven, they are like full on trying to figure out what this virus is to see if it's something they should be worried about even though the general like tone of the movie is that they're already worried because it's like crazy serious especially the fact that her son was infected so easily mm-hmm. yeah so they've quarantined and died so quickly. yeah and died so quickly so they've quarantined matt damon too um but to get into the science of trying to find out what this virus is there's a lot of different tests that people can run um on samples from the infected patients to sort of get some indication so We'll talk a little bit about immunology here. I've warned none of us are immunologists, but in short or a brief summary, the way your immune system works, your adaptive immune system, is once you get infected with a virus or bacteria or something like that that's a foreign antigen, your body will start making antibodies against it because it does not recognize it as a self-protein or antigen, antigen just meaning uh, an element of your body that right. it's, it's foreign. Something that can be recognized by the immune system, and like you said, right. if it's foreign, the body is, for the most part, the capability to recognize it and get rid of it. Right, exactly. Care. So, your body will recognize it and start making antibodies against it. So, even if you die, um, presumably your body will have started making antibodies against it. Um, now, this is a delay. It's not like day one you start making antibodies, mm-hmm. but um, it does happen like pretty regularly for almost all diseases it's on it's on the order of days before you mount a fairly large adaptive immune response to any sort of virus so there's this weird gray area that the movie plays with where like if it kills you in three to four days it's possible the adaptive immune system haven't hasn't caught up to it yet but the body pretty much starts working on this the minute that you start getting an infection so so the first test they do to try and identify what this virus is, they run on ELISA, meaning that they look for... It's just an assay to look for antibodies in the blood of the infected patient. So they have some of Gwyneth Paltrow's blood. They run ELISA on it to see if any of the antibodies recognize... Um, or the antibodies in her blood recognize any known antigens from other viruses. Right. And they're getting zero zero results. And this is one of these things that would typically be run by people. It's like, if you have what you know, the doctors may think what could be a virus or even sometimes a bacterial infection, you can test the blood for antibodies against said thing or just, like you said, a panel in order to try and re- determine what exactly is afflicting you. Right. So they do this first, can't find anything. So then things get a little fast-paced. And by fast-paced, <laughs> I mean totally unrealistic. So they... they start doing... Um, they make a protein structure of... The they they take uh, electromicrograph images using an electron microscope and right. it looks like a cryoelectron microscope. Yeah, actually, it was pretty cool that they had the, you know, it, it looked like they just moved into an EM lab, an electron microscope lab, and just set up shop in there, which was really cool. Yeah. yeah. So they are looking at pictures of this virus on the computer using an electron microscope, and you know, you could there are different types of electron microscopy and i don't think we need to really get into all the details but when you do it you you can see very small things because you use an electron beam in order to visualize these particles that they're getting from the blood yeah and what they see uh kenan this is more kenan's field so they show a picture of the screen yeah and i i got a little upset at this one well there's we had all sorts of like 
you know, arguments about how fast they would be able to purify this virus, you know, on in less than 72 hours, get it onto a, a grid, which is what you put your specimen on when you're looking at it under a microscope. Um, and what they show us is a fairly clear view of the virus that they're looking at. Now, granted, while we don't have a lot of experience with the CDC and how fast they conduct things, this seems like a pretty quick turnaround time for something that they're having trouble identifying. Right. And Dimitri Martin did the entire thing. And, and he's a comedian. Which Dimitri so Martin is in this movie. <laughs> yeah. It's honestly even more impressive that Dimitri Martin did it. Yeah. So, right. so you heard it here. If Dimitri Martin can do this, anyone. Well, I thought the funny thing was the entire time he just had a giant easel and a pad of paper and he would just it write really weird. Like yeah, he, he wasn't just drew talking the virus to people. The whole time. Yeah. That Sorry, that didn't happen. That's a Demetri Martin joke. But it was very good, Sean. <laughs> yeah, but so, okay, so they look at these EM pictures. Right. And they say, like, the virus is pleomorphic, meaning it's got, like, some crazy structure. Mm-hmm. It's a variable structure. We don't really know much about it. Right. C- cut to a new scene where now they have, on a TV screen, they have sequenced the entire genome of the virus. They say it's, like, 16,000 What do you bases. mean by sequenced, Sean? So... DNA is made (laughs) of uh, these things called nucleotides. There's four. There's A, T, G, and C. They stand for names, but the names are irrelevant. They're bases that make up the genetic code that make every protein in your body. Okay? So the virus has this DNA as well, still made of A's, T's, G's, and C's. So what they did is they determined the sequence of it. So if the sequence is like A, T, A, T, G, 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 for example, they... There are machines that uh, you can use to do this, and this is not out of the realm of possibility. This is something scientists do all the time. Um, but they've sequenced the virus, which is a little tough not knowing what the virus is, but it can definitely be done. I'm sure at the CDC they could do it pretty rapidly. Right. Um, and then they compare it to known viruses that are just in a database, which that is a real thing. There's Anytime someone sequences something, it's like kind of public information that other scientists right. can use right. for references. So this is all like, you know, a reasonable thing they can do. But then on the TV screen, they show a protein structure for <laughs> the viral I guess a viral protein. Yep. They, they don't show say a vir- what it is. A it's viral a, surface a viral protein. surface yes. protein yep. along <clears throat> with a protein structure for a cell receptor that binds it. And they show these two interacting together. Yeah. So this may seem, you know, when you look at it on a screen you're like, oh they have a structure of this, you know, that looks very sciencey. Kenan, how long do you think it would take to generate a structure? <laughs> these people and no granted again, CDC who, they said they have a lot of labs working on this. Who knows so what I, resources they have at the who CDC? Knows they who have. knows? And, I don't know, I'm a lazy grad student? This would take me a project to yeah. do. Like, how this long does a project take, Ken? It would be at least three to four years worth of yeah. work. I mean, right. and this is one of those things that, it, now granted, solving the structure, isolating the virus, all of these things are usually done on a much larger scale with a bunch of different labs. So maybe that's what they're working with here is a collaboration. But regardless, they do all of this in 72 hours. Yeah. Which is insane. Yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely bananas that they solve a structure this fast. And not only that, and we talked about this, but they solve a structure of a protein from a virus that they've just recently sequenced 
mm-hmm. and with the structure of a cell receptor, which requires a whole lot of other screening methods and, and all these other things, which we won't get into. But I guess what we're saying is that the turnaround time on this is absolutely bananas, and we should just send all of our stuff to the CDC from now on. Yeah, I mean, if that was the case, like, write a grant, tell them it'll be done in a week, and give it to the CDC. Yeah, there'd be no point for PhDs. Like. Right, exactly. <laughs> we would we'd make us obsolete. Exactly, <laughs> we would just exactly. be cleaning dishes like we always do. Exactly. So they... But so so they start looking at this, right? So aside from the timeline issues, they look at the sequence, they look at the protein, they're like, uh, it has aspects of bat and pig DNA, yeah. I guess. And presumably, right, right. The, the, the man bat pig. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> and presumably, yes. they mean that the virus has elements of a pig virus and a bat virus because it wouldn't have bat and pig dna and i don't think that really makes i mean that could happen yeah but i don't see how that would give you a super infectious virus it just doesn't really make any sense for Mm -hmm. that to happen um so that was sort of the i guess we'll talk more about that at the end i don't want to belabor that point too much but it's a little far it's a little stretched to be like we have this new virus that doesn't have any immune response and we don't know anything about it but it has dna sequences from these two known viruses right exactly because you would expect the behavior to be in somewhat related to those two viruses not necessarily but like more than likely that's going to be the case and i will say the movie does a pretty decent job mostly in the the character dialogue of saying like this is weird this is something I've never seen before, right. which is said by several of the characters on several occasions. So, like, we're they're doing a pretty job of suspend, like, allowing us to suspend disbelief for this kind of thing. But just so the listeners know, it's already obviously pretty far fetched, despite being pretty well grounded and you know decent scientific background. In other words, you're saying the science and the ability to conduct this type of research so fast as possible, but the speed in which they do it is completely unfeasible right. and exaggerated in this case. I, I sure can't do it. Most likely. Yeah, there's just no... And especially because you only see two people working on it the entire time. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, Demetri right. Martin, Martin and, and his friend. His friend. His science friend. Yep. Jane. Jane. Come on. You can't just make up characters. No, 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 Jane, <laughs> Jane, <laughs> Jane Martin. Or Jane Doe. It could have been Jane Doe. Don't forget Jane about Jane Doe. Doe. Or Jane Martin. I could just go to this IMDb page that I have right here. But, yeah, but that's no fun, Sean. You know, yeah. let's keep it a little. Let's Our keep new it. Show Sean looks at IMDb. IMDb. You know what's funny? They have a lot of people in this movie, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but yeah. Anyways, so that must have been her. Nah. Okay, but anyways, we'll just Pause call her Dimitri Martin's friend. Okay. So one more point I wanted to bring up. So the, a lot of the science they cover right in the beginning, but they do have a scene where the scientist and Lawrence Fishburne are sitting in a uh, conference room and they're conference calling with like heads of other health organizations in different countries. Mm-hmm. And they are asking, have you been able to grow it in cells yet? And they respond, no, it kills every cell we put it in. Bat, pig, you know, chicken. Yes. Why is being able to grow a virus in cells important? Well, great question, Pace. So, I mean, when they're they're looking at, you know, trying to study this virus, find out what it is, how they can test, I mean, I don't know, how they can treat it, you know, what they can determine. And to do this, you need a lot of virus. Mm-hmm. And to get a lot of virus, you need to grow it in cells. 
they need to make enough of it in order to develop some sort of vaccine. Right. Because a lot of the initial vaccines that you make when you're trying to address a virus require a ton of it because the first things you start out with is maybe using a virus that doesn't work correctly so that you can prompt the immune system to treat itself. Right. So, so based to do a lot of this testing, even the testing that they've already done, you need to be able to get massive amounts of this virus, and the best way to do it is to grow it in cells. So the the last like science aspect that I wanted to cover in the um, beginning of the movie when they're doing this sort of diagnostic thing is growing the virus in cells. Oh yeah. yeah. So this was a big thing for the movie. Th- so they go. So mind you, right? And I don't know if if. I want to really stress the importance of how insane it is, how fast they were able to do all this. So they've gone from someone got infected, died. Basically, two people have been infected and died that they know of Yep. Um, in America. There's uh, They also show scenes of people across the world starting to have symptoms, like back in China, sure. where the virus initiated from. Um, but they sequenced it, made a structure, did ELISAs, all from patient samples. And then they start talking about, they're like, we can't get it to grow in any cells Whenever we put it in cells, all the cells just die, which is supposed to be dramatic. But it's it a nice scare tactic. <laughs> it yeah, kills, kills everything we put it. They in. go pigs, bats, every cell. It kills all the cells. Yeah. So that's like kind of crazy because viruses. I mean, they use cells to grow, so eventually they might kill the cells. But right. that doesn't mean that you can't just grow the virus in the cell. So that's sort of like a you know we don't want to go belabor this point too much but that is something to consider when they're talking about this but at this point in the uh, movie it's like day 10 and so stuff has gotten very out of hand people are sick it's spreading like it's spreading at the rate of something like the common cold and people are just getting infected everywhere and it's very deadly so and at this point of course like People who don't or who aren't working on this virus are calling for a vaccine. There's a lot of things thrown around that Pace will get into where people are uh, accusing governments of already having vaccines and not sharing them. And there's a lot of drama that's sort of created by that. Right. And so now they're trying to, the movie sort of focuses on dealing with the public, like, uh, perception. Perception and this pandemic that is starting. So there's Jude Law's character in the movie is. Um, sort of a proponent of alternative or homeopathic medicines and he's really a conspiracy theorist and so he plays a huge role throughout this whole movie in trying to um, sort of being an antagonist with the government and Pace is going to tell you a little more about it so in this section of the podcast I'm going to talk about homeopathy and pseudoscience why they're important for the movie uh, why are they dangerous and what exactly they are in the first place so Jude Law, in his character in this movie, kind of, while supporting the significance of free speech in the case of a pandemic, um, also kind of touts conspiracy theories. He's very cynical about the government, particularly government-sponsored research, which is highly relevant in this case, vaccination programs, etc., and overall plays the role of the anti-science advocate, so to speak, in the film. Um, This general skepticism that he has kind of leads him to broadcast these alternatives to the traditional ways of treating a pandemic in this case, um, which kind of leads him to describe this alternative called forsythia. Um, Forsythia was a flowering plant in the olive family. It's native to Eastern Asia. And while it is indeed a very beautiful flowering plant, guys, you should look at it. 
a beautiful shade of canary yellow. Can't recommend it enough. Um, Sean, would you like to look at my Google image that I brought up? Oh, wow, something? that is just fascinating. Fascinating. It's, it's really just jaw-dropping, guys. Um, Draw-dropping. <laughs> um, its medical uses are certainly questionable. Um, and the actual even established medical efficacy of forsythia is cloudy at best. Um, supposedly, its active ingredients, these um, forsythicides A, C, and D, have antibiotic activity. Uh, these have been tested against such bacteria such as Staphylococcus aureus, which causes staph infections. Um, but when it's been looked at to actually treat this type of bacteria, it's relatively weak. So WebMD does say that it might decrease inflammation. Um, and while it's been used to treat respiratory tract infections in the past, there's very, very little clinical evidence, as in like clinical trials, that have shown its actual efficacy to support its use in this manner. And as I'm sure you'll get into, some of the basis of homeopathy is this idea that uh, older cultures have taken something that is, quote, natural from the environment, has long used it in order to treat some sort of, you know, diseases, say, for instance, a staph infection, rub forsythia on it, maybe it causes a treatment. From then on, it's it's then referred to as a medicinal plant, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So it's this idea that going back to what ancient civilizations are doing is actually better for us than using modern medicine, which is, again, something that we'll probably battle against during this podcast. Yeah, I would call it absolutely. a logical fallacy to yeah, assume that because someone did it in the past, meaning, like, it should be better than what we have now. I just don't think there's any reason to make that conclusion. There's a lot of things that we did in the past that we don't need to be doing now. Mm-hmm. Like bloodletting. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You could say that. Putting on people. Yeah. Sure. Right. Sure. Like um, and I also want to point out that in the case of forsythia we're talking about here, there actually isn't even enough data to accurately describe the doses that you need to be taking for its efficacy, which basically further discredits its necessity and even consideration in the case of the film. Um, but enough, ab enough about Forsythia itself, they really could have chosen any obscure quote-unquote natural plant extract to use in the place of Forsythia. I think that the most important point that Jude Law's character and the role that he plays brings to light is the potential dangers of homeopathy and pseudoscience and the roles they have in the world. So homeopathy or homeopathic medicine, according to the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health within the NIH, uh, this is an alternative medical system that was originally developed in Germany over 200 years ago. And I want to talk about the basic premise for homeopathy that applies to the film. And that's being that it's the law of minimum dose that makes something most effective. So basically what they say is that the lower the dose of the medication, the greater its effectiveness, which is complete codswallop, guys. It makes no sense. Right. It's, it's absurd. Um, especially when we, and you know, we are in the medical field as, as researchers, especially when we're already dealing with this idea that very, very, very large amounts of a given molecule, while may, they may elicit an effect, are not realistic. So it's even further stepping away from this idea of realism to say that nearly untraceable amounts of a specific molecule should help you out in the long run. Yeah. I think it's really also, like, the mentality is that scientists are very skeptical of most things intentionally because the way you approach something is that it has to be scientifically tested for you to have some sort of evidence supporting it. Right. 
And in homeopathy, the, a lot of the people promoting it are just completely sure of what they're promoting, even though there is no scientific testing. Exactly. So someone will say, use this, it works, trust me. You right. Know, or like, it's worked in other people, it's worked for years, the ancient Chinese used to use it as medicine, like, you should use it too. And then when a scientist is going to be asked about it, they're going to say, well, we have no evidence to show that it, that it does work, but we haven't tested it. Because right. you don't test some random thing without any basis. So, sure. I mean... And sometimes scientists will follow up some of these claims and will conduct the tests. Yeah, right. But when it's first being introduced, there's uh, yeah, they're like, well, we haven't tested it, so we have no idea. But most likely, based on what we know about how diseases are treated, it there's no reason to suspect that it should do anything. And someone actually brings up Forsythia during one of these press conferences with the CDC and with WHO, and they mention that they're actually testing Forsythia, but the CDC themselves, at least in the context of this movie, say we haven't seen any evidence that Forsythia actually treats the disease. Yeah. And that's the most important thing whenever you're thinking about Forsythia in the context of homeopathy and pseudoscience, which is that both of these constructs are not are not based upon observable scientific evidence, and it's and in this case the effectiveness of a treatment in humans. Right, right. So, like a scientist, they're basing their results on the scientific method, so they're not. I mean, if they have integrity, um, which you know most scientists do have a decent amount of integrity, that is like something that the scientific community tries to make sure of. Right. Um, when they present something that they show does or does not have an effect, it should be backed up by a study people who are promoting homeopathy, there doesn't have to be a study for someone to promote it because they don't hold themselves to those sort of scruples. Which, exactly. You know, that's their prerogative, but there can be consequences to that in some cases. Right. So, so. And I, I think the kind of breaking point for Forsythia and maybe even homeopathy in the instance of the movie is when Jude Law's character broadcasts uh, that this Forsythia, you know, diluted Forsythia oil, quote-unquote, uh, cured the virus that he had, even though he never actually contracted it. Right, he's displaying symptoms, uh, and during a live feed on his website, takes him for Scythia and actually says the phrase, if I'm alive in the morning, for Scythia works. He's, of course, alive in the morning, walking around all, you know, hoity-toity. His bubble boy suit. In his bubble boy suit, <laughs> yeah. and sweet beekeeping helmet. Yeah. Uh, and is now touting this idea that for Scythia works, and because of this, the pharmacies are now swarmed with people trying to track down Forsythia in order to try and treat or prevent this disease. Right. Which is, again, kind of displays one of the dangers of, of, of touting unclarified, unstudied in the proper way treatments for these, these, this type of outbreak in this instance. Um, and kind of going back to what Sean was talking about in regards to scientific method, I next want to talk about pseudoscience. And pseudoscience is essentially a collection of beliefs or practices mistakenly regarded as being based upon the scientific method. Basically, pseudoscience is something that is considered scientific and has a reputation for being scientific, mm -hmm. but has no actual basis in scientific fact. So just a brief run through of what the scientific method entails, just so that the, the listeners can get an idea of what we go through every day and how we have to think through the research that we conduct First, you want to think of a question, make observations, and then formulate a hypothesis, why things happen the way that you're observing. You next want to develop testable predictions based upon this hypothesis, gather data based upon these predictions to see if they fulfill themselves, 
and then develop general theories based upon these data. And then you'll make new observations based upon your theories, and it's a cyclical event that you're occurring here, scientific research. Right. And this is... Yeah, exactly. And it happens very slowly, and you can't just go out and claim that something has these magnificent effects without actually conducting it in this manner previously. So it's actually an important point to make that nobody wakes up and is like, all right, guys, today I'm going to continue my work as a pseudoscientist, continue my pseudoscientist experiments, and use pseudoscience to confirm my pseudo-theories based on pseudo-facts. This doesn't actually happen. There's no one who prides themselves in spewing pseudoscience, or at least I don't think there are. Um, well, they wouldn't call it pseudoscience. They would just call it science, they, right? And that's the point. That's they the point. And quotes. they just call it science, and it's satisfying to, to, you know, to be able to give yourself that credit for something, even though the work wasn't put into it. Which sucks, because I'm excited for people who are excited about science, but a kind of a thing that's hammered into us uh, who are trained as scientists is that the scientific you me- method you mentioned is very, very important before you make any claims. One of the reasons that science takes so long, like you said, baby steps, is because we test and retest and retest and retest over and over and over and over again, right? And before we give any conclusive claims, and this goes back to that idea of like, oh, things are referred to as theories. Theories are the most important laws that we have in science, but they're still theories because the answer is this is correct in all the tests we've ever done. That doesn't mean that it is an ultimatum forever. It effectively is for the, for humans, but it's just only been correct in every single test we've ever done. It means that it has been repeatedly observed and not disproved to our knowledge. Um, and this brings me up to the last couple points I want to make. Uh, some examples of pseudoscience include things like hypnosis, uh, the Bermuda Triangle, the idea that all these strange events happen and yet there's no evidence for them within this crazy one region in the Caribbean, uh, the Flat Earth Society, the belief that people believe that the Earth is flat despite pictures from NASA of a circular globe. Hey, um, I can't have you slandering the Flat Earth Society. They have members <laughs> all around the globe. Oh God! You mean, do you mean do you mean all around the all around the cube? Cube Earth. The disc, the cube. <laughs> the um, a couple of other quick examples of pseudoscience include the idea of phrenology, the fact that you can feel someone's skull and based upon bumps in certain locations oh, deter- forgot about determine that. aspects of their personality. Mm. Also complete codswallop. That goes back to a really weird psychology uh, idea that you could tell what kind of person someone is by looking at their facial structure. Do you remember, yeah. remember hearing about this, yeah. this idea that if you have like a very, like for instance, a very pronounced brow or sloped brow, you're more likely to be a criminal or than anyone else? Well, yeah. or stupid. Yeah, exactly. Because, of, yeah. because that was a, a more ne- Neanderthal-esque yeah. uh, visage, exactly. right? Despite the no actual evidence for having an extended brow, it says a thing about your intelligence. Other than cartoons. Well, sure, sure. We all give cartoons credit when it's due, Kenan. Yeah. Um, but it's it's also important to, to point out other other types of, of false, in this case, pseudoscience, uh, the fact that vaccines cause, cause autism. Um, there's obviously very, very little and essentially no evidence to back up this claim. Um, and this also makes me want to emphasize the, the importance of a scientific theory. As Ken previously described, a scientific theory is something that has been observed multiple times for a way that the universe works around us, like the theory of evolution, for example. And so even though 
there's there's obviously um, lots of evidence to support this idea of evolution. A theory in real life and a theory in science are very different things. So it's just an important point. And I want to end my portion with a question for you guys, yeah. actually. Oh, yeah. We're, and we're ready. I studied all day. I, you know, I, for some I, reason, I don't doubt that. You know, that I whatsoever. worked all day, but I'm still ready. So. Oh, I didn't do any work. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Ask my boss. If you guys are prescribed a drug, or even if you're going to go get a drug over the counter, and be honest with me here, how much research do you do prior to taking it? Do you take the word of your MD to take this drug? Do How much how much work do you put into figuring out if something is, is appropriate for you? Um, I generally trust a MD, medical doctor. Um, the only thing that, this is interesting you've actually brought this up because I've been recently thinking about this because I'm lactose intolerant. I looked into taking lactose supplements. They are not approved by the FDA. They've not been evaluated by the FDA. Uh, they are a dietary supplement. Yep. And every time I read that statement on the back, I just immediately think that whatever, if it did work, or even if there was a placebo effect, it's just gone. Because now I think that, okay, this hasn't even been evaluated by the FDA. Yep. It just doesn't work. There's just no way it's going to work. But I bought it anyways yep. because I love pizza and ice cream. <laughs> so I was like, I might as well give it a try. But the thing is, like... How many tests have you run so far? Well, I mean, I've, I have actually done the ice cream test. Did not work at all for the ice cream test. But Got this it. is all also relative to me. And it's all very contextually dependent. And it's hard to control the environment in which you're eating different food and stuff. So any, anyways, I do do some research, but it normally stops did at... You, did, did you say that you do do some research? Yeah, I do do some research. That's what I thought you said. Yeah. Okay. You are lactose intolerant. Oh, God. Yeah, we'll Sorry. just cut this whole bit Dad out. joke. Sorry, but... God, we can't do a poop joke on the first one. <laughs> was, hey, that's all you, man. I'm so sorry. So, anyways, to answer your question, I do conduct some research, um, but most of the time it ends at making sure that it's FDA approved and that my doctor is, like, a licensed physician. But sure. that's about it. Yeah. So, What about you, Ken? Yeah, so I think... Uh, I, I will say that I do not do prior research, um, but I am that jerk who, when... Uh, a drug is mentioned while I am in the doctor's office and he mentions it and says, I think we can give you this because of X, Y, and Z. I then proceed to ask an enormous number of questions about how the drug works, but that's because I'm a jerk and I'm actually interested in the mechanism of action, right? So at that point, depending on what is told to me, I'll probably go home and look it up just because I continue to be interested, but I don't ever go out and specifically say, does this drug actually work? Is this doctor a quack? And it's interesting that you bring up that point because I actually had a friend recently, good buddy who lives out in California, uh, who went to the doctor because he had uh, symptoms akin to something like Lyme disease. Um, the doctor said, I'm not sure what you've got. It could be uh, uh, one of a couple things. It could be that you have a herpes simplex virus, which, you know, as you know, most people have. You can have a flare-up. You can have some symptoms. Or you could have Lyme disease. Uh, he said, I'll offer to run a few tests, but in the meantime... I have some homeopathic remedies for you that you might look into, and this is an MD. But it still brings up a it still brings up a question. Well, it brings up a ton of questions like ethics and 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 good practice and all sorts of things. But like it does raise an issue of trust, which I think is what you're actually getting at here. Absolutely. Well, and we're getting and you know this is all. I think it's very interesting. We're getting all into like the ethics of all this stuff. A point I want to bring back with the movie is when Jude Law is recommending, or not even recommending, telling people that forsythia works and they should take it, 
it is notable to point out that there is currently no treatment for this disease that yep. people are rapidly getting. Yeah, so it's so, understandable that upon apparent evidence from Jude Law, right. that people would be scrambling to get a hold of this. Uh, like, uh, honestly, I would be, if I were in the situation where I found out I had this disease that most people die from, and Jude Law was like, take this for Scythia, Especially Jude I, Law. I would take it. Even though I would be very skeptical that it would work, but I would still try it because there is no other approach. So, I mean, that is something to consider. That changes once they make a vaccine. But at the current time, you know, even though I don't agree with the presentation of it or the use of it for anything, you know, the context that it's presented in definitely does influence people's decisions and people are, you know, scared. So. Well, and another thing that exacerbates the situation, too, is that Jude Law, after having this, quote, revelation, and there's been some hubbub during that process, uh, Jude Law and Lawrence Fishburne then go on TV uh, and uh, to sort of duke it out right in front of a live audience. Um, there's a lot of questions about Jude Law introducing this idea that for Cynthia can cure the disease, while Lawrence Fishburne is having to defend the CDC and the WHO and the other, gov- and the other government labs right. that still haven't found a vaccine because they're currently still in the process of testing before they want to inject this into a human being. Right. Uh, then ensue a couple of other things, how Jude Law calls him out for you know calling his what wife his or fiancé yeah. yeah. and telling her to get out of town because there's a big issue and then everything explodes from then on. And then this comes back to this idea of, oh, we can't trust the government because they're lying to us. oh they're taking care of their their own interests first they don't have your interests a lot of basic conspiracy theory talk which like from Morpheus you know which at the same (laughs) at the same time it's and it's easy to get caught up in that but at the same time there's a reason that that agencies like the CDC don't tell the general public every single detail of what's going on inside right. their laboratories. And that's a major theme throughout the movie. They actually talk about sort of the front-facing impression that these people are going to be giving to the public. And they actually bring in our specialist who was played by, you looked her up earlier, she was in the Titanic. Oh, She's the uh, communications officer. Hold on, right? hold on, CDC hold on. Don't tell officer. me, don't tell me. All right, Sean, you've got uh, 15 seconds. 15, uh, 14, 13. I'm counting really fast. Yep. Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. That's Nailed what it is. There I it did is. not. Everybody, I did not look that up. My lock screen is up. That came out of my my memory. Who? Spoiler alert! Contracts a disease and dies halfway through the movie. Yeah. And at this point, we're watching it and trying to be like, oh, you know, this is interesting, interesting scientific uh, thing that they're talking about here. And then Kate Winslet dies. Just man, why are we watching this? This is so sad. Yeah. That was she, a, a dark point, a low point in the right. film. Yep, she was part of the team that was working on like setting up. Um, I don't know what what are they called what quarantine areas, quarantine areas, yeah, they, and like yeah. recovery or like health she was talking to FEMA stuff. things like that. FEMA, yeah. that's the she word. was on the front lines. Yeah, she was. Rip. Okay. Um, Kenan, are you gonna go? Or no, let's bring this whole let's bring this little baby home. Bring it home, Kenan. So what happens? Did everybody die? Uh, everyone dies. Oh, great yeah. movie! Really, yeah. really. Yeah. And uplifting. then I think at this point, uh, Steven Spielberg took over the film. A uh, large portion of the movie uh, from then on is kind of about aliens. Okay. Um, something about a chosen one supposed to bring balance to the force. Um, did he have a belly button? Old man the chosen one did not have. No, it was a real Kyle XY situation. No belly button whatsoever. Oh my god, these deep cuts are do we have to so stop? good. No, I just. So eventually, they do develop a vaccine, right? So we shift back to the uh, original, I guess, main character uh, of our movie, Matt Damon. Um, who is touted as the only person uh, that the movie tells us has been immune this entire time, which is wild. Yeah. They tell him he's immune early on, 
Uh, and then he says, oh, well, can't you use my blood or something for a vaccine? And the woman in the room with him dismisses that and says, oh, no, uh, serum vaccines are too expensive to make, even though they did an entire PhD in 72 hours, yeah, like the, which was amazing to hear. Right. Like, the, it's just so funny, like, working <laughs> in the field, how expensive a lot of these scientific experiments are to just look at Matt Day and be like, oh, that's way too expensive. Yeah. Like, <laughs> as the excuse yep. that they couldn't do it because everything they did in the seven days is like... A full government grants worth of work. Yep. That just a lot of money. Making a so. serum based vaccine. That's a line we can't cross, guys. That's a line it's, we can't cross. It's uh, it's too far. That said, we have a uh, basically what happens is we have a very uh, adventurous scientist um, who has been uh, working on trying to develop a vaccine. Ultimately, she uh, they're doing a bunch of tests on uh, uh, non human primates. Uh, they find a vaccine that they think works. So this is a very dramatic scene where they cut to a live monkey surrounded by dead monkeys, and then they cut back to vaccine 57. There's a lot of rhetoric about, oh, well, it'll take too long to get this vaccine approved. Like, we'll have to go through trials, et cetera, et cetera. There's no time. And so this lady, Edward Jenner's herself, to get that sweet N of one, slams the vaccine into her, uh, her thigh, and then goes to the hospital to visit her dad uh, in order to get nice and Who's sick. Who is sick, by Who's the way. And dying definitely of this sick. disease. Kenan, what do you mean by N of 1? Right, so whenever we do these, uh, in any sort of tests, whether they be on cells, on humans, in a clinical trial, any, any of that sort of thing, uh, we have to have what's called an N number, uh, which is kind of this assurance of how many times we've seen this work before we can actually approve it. An N of 1 is a bad thing. Because it could be what is known as an outlier, which is just something that worked on a fluke, right? Yeah, you call it the sample size. Really. Exactly. Yeah. We would call it a, the sample size. Typically, you want of at least three, at the very least, so you can rule out some variances. But for something like this, for a vaccine that we know we're going to be sticking to humans, you want as, basically as large a sample size as possible. Right. Correct. It's interesting, you know, they even bring up Jenner in the uh, oh, yeah. movie. Like, she was like, oh, you know, I believe in this. We have to do this. It saves time. Yep. And for those of you who don't know, Edward Jenner was the gentleman who helped develop the smallpox vaccine. Right. He did so, excuse me, by taking cowpox, injecting himself with that, and... Inoculating himself with smallpox. Exactly, and yeah. then giving himself smallpox to see if the cowpox virus allowed him to prime his immune system to prevent a smallpox infection. Because that is how a vaccine works. Exactly. You get your immune system ready... So that you already have circulating antibodies uh, and memory T-cells? Mm. I don't know. Oh, some T-cells. Nicely oh, done, though, resident yeah. immunologist. I, sorry, I, I, I don't know immunology. Or, it's but, okay, I do, but also I don't. But, but your body basically has uh, previous exposure to this, so it's already primed and will just defeat it before it starts taking over your cells. Right. In addition to antibodies, you have cells that can effectively seek and destroy. Right. Yeah. At the same time... It was risky for Jenner, and it was just as risky for this doctor. She's a doctor. Oh yeah, yeah. For this for this doctor research, this medical researcher to inject herself with this very very little tested. You could even call it non tested vaccine, as in no human had received it before. Right. That said, at this point in the movie, it is uh, day one hundred and twenty something. Yeah, it's in the hundreds. It's like a hundred day a hundred something. Uh, one hundred and thirty one. Uh, is what I have written here. At this point, 26 million people have died. Right. They've, so... They've quarantined... So that, that's also... It's not the worst idea to well, just try it out. <laughs> it's it's day like 100 and something, right? It's, it's actually day on day 29. 
No. No. Come yes. on. Yes. Correct. Day 29. The vaccine is ready on day 133. Oh, uh, okay. okay. It's okay, ready yeah. to be distributed. By day 25, 22.5 million people have died just in the United States alone. Correct. So Got that written down. The, the thing, this is the thing we were talking about when we watched this movie, right? She injects herself. The whole argument of her injecting herself, she's like, there's not enough time. There's just no time for us to study this. We're going to need people. We need clinical trials. There's no way it's going to get approved in time. Which, when you have quarantined Chicago and two and a half million people have died, you're going to rush out a vaccine. Like, you, oh, yeah. you can get people to test this thing on because there are people just dying in the streets that have zero cure for this. Which, ethically, I don't know if you know you want to get people into a trial because they're dying from something. Sure. But people would likely volunteer for this, but yeah. for it to be organized on a governmental level at this point... Is probably yeah. asking a little bit much. It, it, Plus, it's a movie. It would take some more time, but it's also like if you don't have any other option, you're going to make this vaccine and start giving it to people. Oh yeah, definitely. Like do and maybe a small group of people in the beginning just to like make sure there's no adverse effects. But yeah, I mean, it just someone if someone came up to me and was like, I injected myself and I'm fine, I would be like, well, okay, let's give it to all <laughs> of America. Let's let this roll, like, baby. You know, you gotta. I would still want to know, like, does. It work on anybody else did right. you already get infected do you already have immunity like what's going on so well the way they distribute this vaccine is that they uh i believe they take a lottery right and they pick uh individual birthdays and Correct. they do that for the entire year they assign everyone with x birth date you get injected on this day you can come by grab a vaccine you're good to go uh there's a lot of you know you know nice things where like morpheus uh fast forwards the vaccine for the his janitor buddy and his kid he takes his version of the vaccine home, lets his, uh, the janitor's kid get injected with it so that he's protected for that amount of time. Very touching. Very touching moment. Morpheus <laughs> is a good guy. Um, Lawrence Fishburne. Sure, Morpheus. Morpheus. Sure. <laughs> we all know he's Morpheus. Get woke, Sean. Okay. But in this case, it's a vaccine, not a pill. Right. Anyway, the point is is that the entirety of the world presumably is now inoculated uh, after 365 days. So... All's well that ends well. And then at the very end of the movie, smash cut to the original restaurant where Gwyneth Paltrow was hanging out at when she first contracted the disease. Earlier in the movie, a very nice uh, epidemiologist played by a name that Sean's about to give me right now. Oh my god, hold Good on. Good job. Uh, nice. Nailing it. Cuts anyway, she did a great job of uh, piecing together this uh, scene of Gwyneth Paltrow being in a casino um, in How uh, do you pronounce China? this? Marion... Marion Cotillard. Co That's it. Cotillard? It's, or Co Cotillard, I guess, depending Cotill on who you are. Cotillard. If you're from Indiana. Like Marion Cotillard. Nice. Not important. <laughs> anyway, the idea is that she has basically put together a timeline of people that have been infected over this period of time, starting with Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, it cuts to a scene of a bat eating a piece of fruit. Uh, it then flies over to a pig farm, drops that piece of fruit. The pig then eats it and then cuts to the pig being prepared by a chef who then is messing around with the pig's mouth and stuff like that. He's preparing the food. Then he wipes his hands on his apron, walks out, and shakes Gwyneth Paltrow's hand, and then it cuts to the credits. And that's this idea of that's where this virus has come from. And, you know, that sort of mishandling of fruit, food preparation would not have happened in Indiana, guys. Wow. Did you guys wash your hands over there? Yeah, yeah. We It's it's recommended to wash your hands multiple times every day. Four times a day. Do you screen your pigs for bat viruses? Bat, bird... All the types of things oh, that normally oh, really? normally carry these 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 uh, these viruses. I didn't know how you guys did it in Indiana. That's pretty impressive. It's a really special place. Well, as far as we know, only uh, bats and pigs has come to play into this. And we already talked about this idea that 
apparently this virus has moved back and forth between uh, the bat and the pig, or at least from the bat to the pig, and then has suddenly mutated the ability to move into people. And that brings me to my first question. I want to know what you guys think about the accuracy behind the behavior of this virus within the movie. So different things that you think that this might be similar to and how the behavior of the virus, the symptoms and that sort of thing, the transmission may be related to something that we see actually in real life. That's the thing, Sean, you're the resident virologist. I'm going to let you have the first go. Okay. I can help you guys out if we have to. No, no, no. I got it. I mean, I have the page of the virus that the movie is based on. So nice. I could look at that. But um, it's spreading um, like a respiratory virus, like the flu. Right. So and there's a lot of coughing. Yeah, people like cough, they sneeze. Something they that's, touch air, a that's airborne. Yeah, it's airborne. It's spreading in an airborne fashion, right. which is, I guess, that's what a lot of respiratory viruses do sure. because they're respiratory. They're in your airway, and you're emitting them through your, you're expelling them through your airway. This virus also causes encephalitis, right. which is in your brain. And, and like I said, there's a lot of things that this movie gets right. One of the things that is sort of making it even worse for the transmission of this virus, they bring up this idea of fomites, right? And so fomites are this, is this fun word that they throw around that effectively means any surface that has then been inoculated by disease, specifically a virus. Um, so there's all these like dramatic shots of sick people coughing into their hand and then touching like a subway railing or something like that and then zooming in on that railing because we know the next person to touch that, probably going to get sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's just reminding me of that one moment where they're trying to track down how Gwyneth Paltrow contracted the virus, right? And they yep. get to this guy on the bus. Obviously, mm-hmm. one of the most stereotypical, where do you get a disease? Probably on local transport. Right. Right? And so he's, you know, coughing into his hand, touching all the railings. Yep. In other words, you know, he's touching all, all, all the fomites, all the surfaces, and then uh, just leaving a trail of disease behind him. Yeah. Exactly. And we didn't get into, like, some of the non-science plots, but... What if Paltrow had an affair with this guy? Right, so yeah. And sick. so there's this, like, scare moment where, <laughs> oh, no, there's an X Factor out there who also has a disease, and they, he doesn't know they have the disease. And then uh, uh, awesome scientist communication lady runs up and puts, a, like, a mask on his face, and, and then we cut to black as right. they uh, try and treat this gentleman. And like I said, Matt Damon had a very bad day, because he also found out that his wife Matt was Damon. cheating on him before she died. Yeah, yeah man, that, that, that day is like 2 out of 10, I would say. This yeah, movie was pretty... Rough. 2 out of 10? Really? What's a 1 out of 10, Pace? <laughs> his daughter could have died, too. Ah, uh, true. His That's daughter does just not die. his wife who cheated on him and then his son. Yeah. yeah so, I'm just saying it, it could have been worse, Matt Damon. That's, That's fair. I guess it could always be worse in that context, but... Poor Matt Damon. Yeah, so... Anyway, uh, you're right. It pretty closely resembles, like, the spread of a couple of different viruses, and they actually bring up this idea of are not a couple of times. I don't know if you guys remember that. Mm, yes, I do. I do. What so, is that, one of the first things that uh, miscommunication officer uh, brings up is this idea of an R not. And what this actually stands for is wait, wait, wait. Miscommunication? You mean Mrs. Yeah, communication? Like Missy officer? Elliott, not like misbehaving. Like someone who miscommunicates. Right, right. Okay, <laughs> I probably should. Yeah. yeah. Real good at communication officer. Uh, brings up this idea of an R0, which is known as a basic reproduction number. Uh, so it's this idea that, um, or at least thought of the number of cases that one can generate from a single infection. So an R0 of two, a single person who has the, uh, the virus can then spread it to two people, 
Those two people then subsequently spread it to four people, etc., etc., etc. And a couple of times they upgrade the R not for uh, this virus. In fact, at one point I think they say, "Oh my God, it's mutated," and then they upgrade mm-hmm. the R not to four, correct, which is a really big deal. So one of the things that we sort of discussed during this movie and a little bit afterwards is this idea of R nots of pre-existing viruses. So uh, just for your reference, influenza, and these are according to numbers that were uh, from a couple of papers that are cited through Wikipedia. Um, influenza, for instance, has an R0 of 2 to 3. So this means just sort of on average, one person with influenza will spread it to 2 to 3 people. Measles has an R0 of 12 to 18. Uh, so this goes back to this idea of vaccinations. They're good. You should probably get vaccinated for measles because one person can spread it to a lot of people and that can get out of hand fairly fast. But something that's kind of interesting is that Ebola actually has an R0 of 1.5 to 2.5. So it's actually very, very low, despite the fact that everyone knows that Ebola virus is a fairly rampant, dangerous virus. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so one of the things that we sort of batted back and forth during this movie is Ebola virus kills people so quickly that it's not very good at spreading. Mm -hmm. People actually die very, very quickly when they have Ebola virus, if they go untreated, right? The way that you exchange the Ebola virus infection is that you have to make physical contact with somebody through either bodily fluid, sweat, that sort of thing. Um, but this virus has the advantage of being able to live on surfaces, this coming back to fomites, right? So you can pass it by coughing to somebody and by rubbing your hand on it. So it seems, at least the movie tells us, that although this kills people very, very quickly, the rate of transmission is really, really high by comparison. Mm-hmm. So. It's interesting, though, because you, you bring that up that it has a, a similar, well, not similar or not as Ebola, but not that much higher than Ebola, right? But because of the fact that it's airborne, increases the potency of which it can spread versus being spread through bodily fluid, right? like well, Ebola is spread. Well, and initially, they, they say that the r not for this virus is 2, but then later on, after it, quote, mutates, they upgrade it to 4. Like right. So, oh, God, it's mutated. My God, it's mutated. No. It was a really good moment in the movie. My God. God help us. <laughs> <laughs> So it actually brings us uh, kind of to my next point, um, which is this virus is actually based on a real virus uh, called Nipovirus. Um, and the virus that they, just for the remainder of the latter half of this podcast, will refer to the virus from Contagion as NEV1. It compares to Nipovirus similarly in that the people who get it have respiratory symptoms, they develop encephalitis, they develop seizures. Um, but in comparison to NEV1, Nipovirus actually kills 45 to 90% of the, its victims. Whereas our contagion virus, MEV1, they said kills about one in four people, right? So it's already killed a bunch of people. But that said, it's not as rampant as Nipovirus actually is, as far as a disease progression goes, but it is more easily able to spread than Nipovirus. So this virus, while it does crop up in humans uh, moderately frequently, most of the epidemics are localized to places like Australia. Yeah, there was a epidemic in or an epidemic in Australia, India, Australia, and then this looks like Durban South uh, somewhere in Indonesia, I think. Yeah, Indonesia was the one that I was trying to think yeah. of. So, it crops up a couple times. The other thing that they pull from this idea is that it actually is uh, in a reservoir host of fruit bats. Um, so this brings us back to this bat thing. But the thing is, is that uh, Nipovirus is most often contracted from horses. So while it has a reservoir host in fruit bats, it is passed to horses, or seems to be passed to horses before it's passed to humans. Which, if we remember from the movie, they pass MEV1 from bats to pigs to humans. Right. The thing that they don't address in this movie, one of the really, really strange things that, 
for me at least for selling this virus is that this virus would re- uh, readily move to humans that quickly there should have been so many other people who got sick first. Yeah. Because there are people who work at that pig farm, right, who would have gotten uh, minor versions of this virus, like minor subspecies of this virus, who maybe got a little bit of, a little bit sick and went Right. Home. That's a very good point. I did not even think about that yeah, when we were watching absolutely. the pig farmers. They it's, would have 100% got sick. Yeah, the, the chef would have gotten sick before she did. Right. Yes. So anybody so, like, who's handling these pigs... Or even just cleaning the pens could have ended is up likely with, to yeah, likely yeah. to contract this disease. The other thing is that jumping to humans that quickly without doing any of that is also a little far fetched because typically what happens with these viruses and now granted it is a uh, I think they mentioned it's a single stranded RNA virus. Mm-hmm. So the the virus that it's based on is also single stranded RNA. It's the in the family of paramyxovirus. If anyone wants to look it up, nerd alert. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> RNA viruses have a really low rate of proofreading while they're replicating. Uh, And so that means that their genome can get all sorts of scrambled while they're being replicated, which means you get a lot of variants of those viruses that more often than not don't do anything because they cease functioning. But that's one of the things that causes multiple subspecies of these things, which will cause different types of infections. It's one of the reasons that we have new vaccines for influenza every year is because this virus has gone through a series of mutations, right? For different reasons, but same idea applies. Right. So the idea that it would have gone from bats to pigs to humans without any other uh, apparent cases cropping up is insane. It just wouldn't have happened. You would have seen smaller organs. Right. Yeah, it's just pretty far-fetched. Also, they're assuming when they when this bat dropped a banana into a pig pen, the pig ate it, and then there was a genetic recombination event where, like, Pig Between DNA the two viruses. put in there, or there's like two viruses, or yeah. recombination events in DNA occur all the time. Like that is a thing that not all the time, but that's a thing that can happen. Right. But to have this occur from segments of DNA from different species, and that result in some sort of protein that makes this virus more virulent, like it just can start killing people and spread airborne. That's like airborne. That's airborne. Yeah, Airborne. That's like, there's so many jumps that you're making there that just are stepwise things that would occur over like a lot of time if this was going to happen. But there's like no. It would probably take multiple generations of both. I'm I'm guessing once the the bat virus came into, entered in the pig system, you would have to have multiple generations of of pigs. Yeah, you would still get Um, interplay between the two of them. It seems like the odds of that happening is like that pig winning the lottery while getting struck by lightning. And like the fact that the pig bought a lottery ticket is just insane in the first place. I don't know who gave this pig money. It's just very, very high odds, you know? Maybe the bat did. I mean, unlike the two of you, pig did not have a strong resume. So I just don't see this happening. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. this idea of uh, them sort of just saying, "Oh yeah, there's DNA from pigs and bats," brings us, brings us to me uh, to my last point. For all intents and purposes, for the audience, that doesn't matter. It does. I mean, people, yeah, people who are don't have a background of viruses, it's a great way to make it sound like that this is something that no one's ever seen before, right? Mm. This is something that has recombined. It's made a new virus. We don't know what this thing is. And that explains why it's so rampant. We can't react to it fast enough. So I wanted to ask you guys, and you can just pick smaller examples. I have some ready to go, obviously, because you haven't heard this question yet. What things in the movie that uh, you thought ridiculous, even if they served a purpose for major plot points, and what things were you surprised at how accurate they were? I can take that one first. Sweet. I think that the thing... I'll start with your second point. Well, the things that I found most surprisingly accurate 
were the characterization and sequence of experiments that they conducted yeah. in order to care in order to characterize the virus. I mean, that's you know, I, I saw that, and I you know, as a scientist, I looked at it and I said, oh yeah, that's how that works, um, and was shocked to see that. But to to someone who's not familiar with the techniques, they might not realize how actually accurate that is, and the and the sequence of events that leads to how we're going to combat and harness a vaccine to to placate this virus. Um, yeah, I thought that was pretty impressive, and I gotta say, like, as a person who works on these sort of things fairly regularly, uh, it was nice to see uh, a lot of the same equipment that I use in the lab on a regular basis exactly being used in the exact way that it should be in order to do all of this stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. It, it was actually, they really did a good job with, like, those are experiments I would do in order to characterize the virus. Like, they oh, yeah. did it in, the time period was skewed. Insane. But yes. the actual experimentation, like, it seems fine. They don't go too into detail, but why would you? You know, it's a it's not about But that. you don't have enough time. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. The results that they acquire from said experiments to characterize the virus are this or what you would expect to see. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And they go through all the, the, the same checks that you would need to in order right. to right. treat a disease. Uh, I actually thought it was uh, pretty accurate of a movie. So that brings us to the last section of the podcast. Sean, please rate this movie's science on a scale of one to five. Hmm. I am going to give it... Yes? A four out of five. Wow. The right. reason I'm giving them a four out of five is because there are definitely some to, to to the trained, I guess we could call ourselves trained to some extent in science. <laughs> well, we can call ourselves that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. In my opinion, as a scientist, there are certain aspects of the movie with that are general misses, but a lot of the data that they do in the beginning when they're actually scientifically analyzing the virus, although the timeline is messed up, the experimentation and everything is what you would actually do to characterize this virus. And I really mm. think that that is one of the main reasons I'm giving it a 4 out of 5. Now, there are a lot of parts that are very hand-wavy stretches of like, oh yeah, this could maybe happen in a virus that we've never seen before if like the stars aligned or something. Right. But... You know, we we sat down and broke down this movie a lot extensively, and We've a lot of this stuff is just. Yep, I'm sure people are still listening. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure they are. To our first episode. Oh God, we really have to cut this down. <laughs> we do. But so, anyways, I think they get about a four out of five. All right, pace. Yeah, so I was surprised at my own rating of this film. I was going back through it, and you know, I, you know me, I'm looking back and I'm thinking, how can I? You know, how can I just lay a deuce on this film, you know, in regards to the science? But, um, all right, well, we I'm reached our poop joke quota. I, you know, there's some things you, you can't change, Kenan. Um, I'm also going to give it a four out of five. Oh, because here's the thing it is actually very shocking these days to see a film that comes out of Hollywood that is of the scientific caliber as contagion is. Oh, yeah, I agree. in my opinion. Um, and the reason that it keeps it being from a 5 out of 5 for me is because I think this is going to be a recurring theme for some of the movies that we see. The initiating factor for the problem, right? this virus that is some kind of miracle happens to get transmitted to, transmitted to Gwyneth Paltrow in, in this instance in a pretty far-fetched way. Right. Uh, the initiating factors are a little, are a little out there. For it's me. a stretch. It's a stretch. 
but you know, overall, I think that they did their homework pretty well. Good. So, cool. I'm satisfied. Kenan, how would you rate the movie? So I really, really, really want to give this movie a five out of five. I really do. Mm. But the reason being is I've seen a bunch of movies, and as far as movies with a scientific basis go. This is probably the most accurate to actual scientific fact, because there are actual scientific facts all throughout this movie, out of any movie that I've ever seen. So I really want to give it a 5 out of 5, but we're going to be objective about it. Not all the science in the movie is correct. Mm -hmm. So, I'm going to break my own rules and I'm going to say I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. Nicely done. We should just do a 10-point scale then. Just you would think. Do five-point scale of the garbage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess we're never going to find a movie where every single scientific thing is scientifically accurate because it would be the most boring movie in the world. Just like this podcast. And just oh, like our lives. On, dude. We spent... <laughs> uh, we lost like 30 minutes of recording. I don't recording. even want to talk about the audio issues we've had. <laughs> yeah. But I agree with you. It's, it is very, very clear to me that these folks did their homework. So what do you think about the movie as a whole? Uh, as far as fun factor goes, like how did I think I enjoyed the movie? Yeah. Um, I actually think I would give it a four out of five. Uh, I because I thought it was well, it was enjoyable for me to watch just as a scientist in general. Mm-hmm. One because I was shocked at the amount of accuracy that was occurring within the movie, but also because it was cool to see, like you said, pace played out on the Hollywood screen. The process of solving an epidemic that was pretty awesome. One thing that I did really like is that in the first half of the movie they cover the science. In the second half, the first third of the movie, they cover the science. In the middle third of the movie, they cover this idea of conspiracy theories and trust. And then sort of within that, but in the third uh, third of the movie, they talk about sort of the social aspects of this. And that's covered throughout the entirety of it. But they cover sort of the gamut of every major part of an epidemic that you might expect. Right. So there's very clear-defined right. acts within that movie. And I really enjoyed that from an aspect. Definitely. Yep. Showing. Um, I would probably give it a... I'm going to go 8 out of 10. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, do you, Sean, do, do you mean a 4 out of 5? No, I mean an 8 out of 10. Let's start. Do you mean a 16 out of 20? Okay, come on. Do you guys, <laughs> That's do you, ridiculous. Do you guys are just being mean. Do you guys want to play fractions with me? I no, no, Okay, okay. But the reason I'm, I'm giving it that is because I did enjoy the movie. Um... I thought that it did move a little fast-paced. There were some parts where I was like, okay, I wish there was a little more on this, or like what they sort of bring something up and like just move on. But um, I thought as a whole, I mean, I enjoyed the movie. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it to people. So I want to hear, uh, and and granted, we maybe we'll get some feedback on this eventually. But I want to hear what people who aren't in science every single day actually thought of this movie. Because I about midway through was wondering if it would be boring for people who don't work on this stuff. Go ahead, base. Well, no, based upon that, I would be interested to see what an epidemiologist thinks about this movie, Uh, because we don't necessarily have strong, you know, a strong background. We don't have strong backgrounds. No, we don't. Um, We have zero background, I think (laughs) you would say. Well, you know, we we have an idea of the scientific process, and even even in drug development itself, but actual epidemiological concepts were a little little lackadaisical on, so. You know what my background in epidemiology is? What, Sean? I've seen the movie Contagion. I've seen the movie Contagion. <laughs> played the game Contagion. Oh, wow. So Kenan is an expert, you would say. Yeah, some would say. Here's what I thought about the movie. Right. Um, and I, I think this is also going to be a recurring theme throughout our podcast. The better the science in the movie, the lower the entertainment quality is going to be. This is sort of mm. this is my own opinion, and 
I think that we'll know the exceptional movies whenever they're both high on both scales. Awesome. So I actually, I actually give us a three out of five for the Ooh. overall entertainment, um, and that's honestly because if if, if we're you, gonna get a call from Steven Soderbergh, listen, if you are going to put this movie up against movies that have a high level of either, depending on what their genre entails here, a high level of thrill or they're very, very, uh, you know, have nice elements of, of, of climax and to the point where you know in this film i thought that the the resolution of every conflict was so tame and realistic that it took away some of that panic and almost terrifying aspects that you yeah. expect when watching a movie about a pandemic right you know so i still give it a three out of five well, you hit about where IMDb put it, because they gave it a 6.6 .6 out of 10. I have the intuition, Sean. Yes. You, I mean, you are an IMDb database. Wait, I guess you are an IMDb. A human IMDb. <laughs> you know, Sean, that's the, really nailed that one. <laughs> that's the first time someone's called me a human IMDb. And I'm going to treasure this moment forever. Are you a robot pace? If What's you are, not? you have to tell me, or else it's entrapment. Are you a co-op? <laughs> not a co-op. I'm not a co-op. <laughs> all right, all right, great. guys, we have to end this podcast. It's a great little uh, reference everyone can enjoy. Yeah, so we are on Twitter uh, with, I think, zero posts so far at, uh, yeah, at but Real Science Cast. Hopefully we'll have posts by the time this episode gets uploaded. Absolutely, and Sean's going to run our Twitter feed, so I'm sure it'll Definitely be full of just on top of thrilling it. dad jokes. Poorly spelled everything, just the entire time. You were having a lot of fun here today, but there's gonna. You should actually follow the Twitter account because Kenan will be running it. Probably, he actually yeah. has a Twitter presence. So, yep. And you can actually find me on pretty much every source of media, uh, including uh, uh, Battle.net at LOL Kenan. Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cross and Grip, but I will not post anything probably ever, and so you, you don't really want to follow me. Just follow the podcast. It's at Real Science Cast on Twitter. And we have an Instagram, which is also, I believe, Real, at Real Science, Science Cast. Cast. Sure. Something like that. If it's not, I'll tweet out the correct yeah, one. something like that. So Kenan <laughs> will tweet it out. So just follow us on Twitter. I mean, I have a Facebook, but, you know, no one cares about me. So just no look one, at the podcast. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Come on. Well, it's not that no one cares about you. It's no one really cares about Facebook nowadays. Right. Oh, find me on find me on AIM. You can find me at Michael C. Pace on the Twitter. That's the primary social media where you'll uh, I'm most active and displaying my various thoughts, ambitions. Uh, I tweet not only about science but also science advocacy, my various nerdly ambitions, and the occasional political tweet here and there. Yep, and we are always open to feedback. Uh, we also have a email, I believe, that is uh, realsciencecast or realsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Again, we can tweet that out if, we, if there's an issue with people finding it. Tell us what you guys like. Um, we can always cover movies that you might have suggestions for um, or break this up and talk about different things. So we're, we're open to interpretation. Yeah, please give us feedback and suggestions. We really appreciate it at the beginning. Oh yeah, um, so we have just no lay, idea what we're doing. Just really lay into Kenan and Pace on Twitter. Just fill their feeds with just feedback about how boring they are during the entire podcast. Great. But what well, goes around comes great. around, Sean. I, don't worry, I won't read mine. Doesn't matter. <laughs> just rip up your W four, Sean. You're fired. Oh no! All right. Well, I guess I'll never see you guys again. All right. Bye. All right. Well, <laughs> bye guys. Should we have a sign off? I mean, we'll come up with one. Do I say probably. say stay classy again? Because that was real classy. dad. I really hated time. that. All right, well, signing off from Real Science Cast, it's Sean Crossan. I'm Kenan Smith. And Michael Pace. Good night, everyone. <laughs>
Can so, we talk about his teeth? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I know we. I know this show's gone on for a bit. We've talked a lot this about is some science. Important thing we have to address. For those of you out there who've seen the movie, and I, I know the most startling thing about this movie. It's not that people are dying. It's not that Jude Law is, you know, never mind selling homeopathy. It's not like, that Kate Winslet dies. It's not that Morpheus is there. It's that Jude Law's teeth are so messed up it actually just <laughs> looks like they took jude law's regular really nice perfectly straight they are they are nice and just glued an extra incisor to the <laughs> front so of his head and like at exactly 45 degree angles so that it sticks right. out to that awkward place where you don't know what to make of like it. he bit into a dentine ice and it's just stuck there for <laughs> it's the whole just movie. a chiclet shoved on the- 